Hey, this is Melissa, creator and founder of Femtrepreneur, and you're listening to Fem Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Fem Radio podcast wherever podcasts are found so that you can be notified when each episode goes live. Hey, Fem Radio listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening, for rating and reviewing, and for just being a part of our hashtag GetFemmed movement. Today, like every other day, whether you're listening in the morning, in the afternoon, at night before bed, I have another great episode for you featuring Andrea Giraldi. So the story of Andrea and I sort of meeting each other or being introduced is actually really awesome. Um, An old friend of mine from college actually reached out to me and said, you need to sit with my chief of staff because she's amazing. She's a trailblazer and she fits your motto and the mission of your show to a T. So of course I had to take that feedback and run with it. But one of the coolest things about that is that this friend of mine is actually a male. So shout out to Mike Arena. Thank you so much for letting me know about Andrea and for funneling her information to me so that I could hound her down and get her on this show because she really is amazing. And I think what you'll find in this episode is a lot of educational information, how to talk to leadership, how to negotiate a salary, how to get your point across, just a lot of information that in other episodes we might have just glossed over or not, you know, put too much attention to. And again, you know, Andrea is a chief of staff, so she is, you know, familiar with the people experience, familiar with what really gets your foot in the door and how you can navigate through your career in the best way possible for you. So as always, please listen, rate and review, let us know what you think, and hashtag get femmed. When I first sat down with Andrea for this interview, she was the chief of staff at a tech company, but now she is the chief of staff at Rising Tide Capital. Rising Tide Capital is a 15-year-old nonprofit that transforms lives and communities through entrepreneurship. Today, Rising Tide Capital serves entrepreneurs in both English and Spanish and has recently launched a national partners network, which will allow them to share their model with other communities across the country. First, thank you for having me. Yes. Um, I was excited uh, to learn about your podcast and the fact that there's another channel for women to connect and learn from each other. I think it's vital. So uh, thank you for for having this. (laughs) Um, So currently I'm the chief of staff to the CEO at a commercial real estate data tech company. I not only work directly with the CEO um, and the leadership team, but I also oversee operations and human resources. Give us a glimpse into your career path thus far um, and some of the industries that you worked in. So I've worked in uh, the auto industry, commercial real estate, tech companies, and then um, also finance. So I've kind of uh, bounced between them. Uh, I have a love of working for uh, finance companies, but also the entrepreneurial side of me tends to pull me uh, pull me out of that every once in a while. But my first role was actually uh, as a receptionist, 
I worked full-time and went to school while caring for my disabled mother and uncle. I took my role very seriously. I, you know, a lot was on the line, not only for me, but for my family. And I knew that my success was directly going to impact uh, them as well as what my future was going to be like. Leadership saw that and cultivated me. Very long story short, uh, six and a half years later, I was actually the head of the marketing for the company as well as their chief operations officer for a SaaS business that we launched. It was before SaaS was actually like a popular <laughs> term. It was a really long time ago. And we also launched a commercial real estate development company. Uh, eventually, I landed an entry-level job at Goldman Sachs without understanding the incredible impact working for the firm would have on my career and my life. I spent the first two years in commercial real estate uh, investment area, but I had this itch to get on the people side. I was always very much uh, fascinated by what it takes to make a business successful, and I realized everything came down to people. So I ended up working in human capital management for about five and a half years. So I was at Goldman a little over seven years. And there I uh, worked for the chief diversity officer and she was also responsible for all of global talent management. So I got to get a lot of work on the experienced hire recruiting side, talent development, diversity initiatives. I had the honor of leading my own interns, diverse interns that were rotated through the revenue divisions. So it was definitely one of the best things that ever happened to me and I'm very grateful to have been there. I later was lucky enough to work with the former chairman of the SEC, Arthur Levitt, where I was able to gain a lot of insight into how Washington has a massive impact on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. He was an incredible man and ethical person to work for. So, you know, it was definitely a great experience. After that, I was a chief of staff at another SaaS organization, but then I got the itch for finance again. <laughs> and I really, I did, I missed uh, some of the structure of it and I, I wanted to kind of take a break from from the, the startup world, um, but I found a hedge fund that was pre-launch. So it gave me the best of both worlds. It was like that entrepreneurial side of, the, of that mixed with finance. So um, it was a small group of us uh, that I worked with some brilliant people that were looking to launch the fund. So we launched a fund. Um, it's doing extremely well. It's been, you know, after three and a half years, I felt um, my work there was was done. And then this is when I uh, came into my current role. That's awesome. So it's funny because every time I interview you know, a guest, I always try to piece together their careers, like why they chose certain things, but I do feel like you have an itch for being in industries that aren't predominantly female because you're finance, you've been in tech, and you're in entrepreneurship, you have a naturally, you know, entrepreneurial mindset. So do you think you gravitate more towards that? I do. I, I find, um, I think women, I don't think I know, I know women have a great impact, and I think... Um, I've always been interested in the challenges that are in these spaces and I've just, I'm not fearful of walking into the room and being the only woman there. A trailblazer. Um, <laughs> I know that, uh, sometimes you have to, it's a, it's a balancing act, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be, um, you know, I've done a lot of 
of self-research as well as when I was at Goldman, I learned a lot and we focused and deep dived into research and uh, about subtle and yet significant bias that women experience. And I, they educated me greatly on that. And, you know, they developed programs to, to ensure managers weren't doing those things, which is very admirable. So I took that with me, but also it gave me a lot of insight when I walked into other uh, organizations about how you need to be very fact-based, data-driven, mm-hmm. and not be afraid from the beginning to set the tone and and sit at the table. There was times where my former boss, Edie Hunt, who um, I'll tell you more about her later, who is a, changed my life as well. She was she was the Goldman Sachs chief diversity officer. I used to walk into the conference room and I would always select a seat that wasn't even at the conference room table. And then after meetings, I would tell her, okay, here's what I think. I saw this and I had all these great ideas. And she's like, why aren't you talking in the meetings first? And why aren't you sitting at the table? She's like, be the first one in the room, grab the best seat and share your ideas. And I always had this sense where I was like, well, I didn't feel as good as everyone else as smart as everyone else in the room or you know sometimes I was intimidated by the larger personalities and I had to find my own way you know there's there's rules to the road in every industry so I had to sort of watch the patterns and see and and understand the people that I was working with so that I knew how to communicate in a way that was effective to get my point across So that someone at the table wasn't looking at me as the woman who was trying to do something, but as the as the key stakeholder or colleague trying to get change made. Yeah. So why is diversity in the office so important to you? And not even just from a perspective of you know male versus female, but across the board. Several reasons. One, I felt the direct impact of bias. Again, it's very subtle but significant. Um, other times, it was unapologetically in your face. <laughs> uh, auto industry is very. It was uh, very interesting. Um, I believe everybody should be able to come to work and be their whole selves. We are created equal. Uh, there is no difference to what we're able to, to do. There's no reason why, um, whether you're LGBTQA or whether you're from an underrepresented ethnicity group, that you should be judged based on that. It's what I always believe it's like you prove yourself by performance and who you are. Um, it's how I was raised. I never felt limited yeah. um, because I was a woman or because I was, you know, a lot of times people think, you know, oh, they're excited to hire someone that has a Hispanic background <laughs> so they can put that check mark on that box. Um, I want to be able to be seen as myself. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just equality is something we must achieve and we all have to be a part of it. I also worked for the chief diversity officer when I was at Goldman Sachs, Edie Hunt, and was able to really get a deep dive into the research and understand the impact diversity has on an organization. It's diversity of thought and experience that really does bring uh, the best and the brightest together to come to the greatest solutions. I've had a bunch of listeners sort of send DMs, fill out surveys, um, just with questions for women like you that walk in a position of leadership who really are at the cusp of creating organizations. So I want to ask you some of their questions in the hopes of 
of helping them definitely um, you know in their own places of work so in the past when you've left your roles how did you well one how did you know that it was time to leave and two how did you approach it so I'm a firm believer that you have to go with your gut if something in your gut keeps telling you the same thing it's time to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't like to make emotional decisions. So although uh, my gut may be telling me something is not right or that I need to try something different, I make sure I sit back and I kind of analyze why. Where is it coming from? Uh, is it a particular reason that could be addressed? And did I voice that? And did I try to find uh, a solution for it so I had fulfillment where I was? If it's a circumstance where it's just, you know, it's just not right and it's not going to work, I, I do it in a way where you not only leave in a very positive way, but also that helps people remember who you were, what you offered, and the integrity that you did your job with. Mm-hmm. I like that. Sometimes you tend to burn a bridge and then it sort of put, casts a shadow on how you were as an employee even though you might have been definitely great. and I and I've seen a lot of people burn those bridges for very for reasons that sometimes in business just things happen and yeah. decisions are made based on what's best for the business and it's not personal so for me it's like if you're gonna burn a bridge what do you really get out of it, yeah. right? Negativity, bread, is, is not going to help you or anyone else. So That's absolutely right. So what are, the, what are some of the things that you've had to think about prior to leaving some of your roles? For me, it's always the risk. Uh, I tend to, um, you know, I tend to be risk averse at times. <laughs> Um, but then I always push myself and, and realize that taking the leap um, always comes with a jolt of fear. Um, and fear is good in the sense that it makes you think. I never let it stop me. I let it make me think. Um, so basically, I think about who I'm going to work for. A company is obviously very important, but I found what's the most important is your manager. Your manager can make or break your career. The right manager will have you flourish and add so much fulfillment to what you do on the day-to-day. So not only do I look the business, again, I really get to know the hiring manager and who I'm going to be working with. And then I think about how I could potentially either see myself grow at that company or what am I going to gain and learn there as it, and using it as my stepping stone to my ultimate career goal. How do you typically fight for what's right in an environment but still remain compliant? So I loved this question. Yes. <laughs> because as women, obviously, if you tend to be the squeaky wheel, then you yes. at times sort of get looked at in a certain light. You're absolutely right. And I, I coach a lot of women around this where they said, well, I've complained about X. So I can't bring this up again because mm-hmm. I'm going to look like a whiny woman. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, first of all, it's it, all in the approach, right? If something is wrong and something needs to be changed, you come as a leader, mm-hmm. right? Everyone, no matter what position you're in, whether you're entry level, whether I was a receptionist or even when I was like younger, my first job when I was working at a bakery, I saw myself as a self-leader. Like no matter what I was doing, I was going to be the best and try to exemplify what I thought should be present in the workplace. 
And so one of the things I do is I keep notes to myself and I start pulling together data points and examples. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I do is when there's something I feel needs to be changed, I use the data to show that it's not an emotional reaction. I come in very calm. (laughs) I set the tone for it and, and make sure I say, hey, here's the intent. The intent is I see this is hurting X, Y, and Z. Here's the data that I have. Here's what I think we should we could do to help with the solution. So I don't just come with the problem. I come with a solution. Don't know, and sometimes I don't know if it's the best solution, and I say it. I don't know if it's the best solution, but I'd love to work with you around that because yeah. I can see it growing into a larger problem. Yeah. So those are the, it's the approach. It's like you can almost say anything to anyone. It's how you say it and with the intent in which you give it. Mm-hmm. And I think clearly stating it really helps uh, negate that that fear of being perceived as a whiny woman. And sometimes there's been times where, you know, I'm like the barking dog that keeps <laughs> jumping. Um, and then when, when there's something I know that, and it, it's just in me, and sometimes, you know, it can probably be annoying to those that want it to kind of go away. But I realize that if you want to be changed, sometimes you're going to have to be the squeaky wheel, you know, and sometimes there's people that are squeaky wheels and they get a lot of oil and they don't deserve it. <laughs> They're a broken wheel, right? So if you see something is going wrong, you're being data driven. There should not be a fear. You need to stop looking at yourself as like, okay, I'm walking in there as a female. No, you're walking in there as a leader and you're helping the company. This one makes me laugh because we were just talking about it briefly before, but what is your version of work-life balance? (laughs) And how do you maintain your sense of self while working? This is something that I I struggle with throughout my career. I think I'm getting better and better at it because of how passionate I am about my work. I tend to get lost in it. But what I've been doing is as much as I schedule out meetings and carve out time for work, I've been starting to carve out time for me mm-hmm. and self-care. Um, I've been using this app called Fabulous, which is really great. Um, it it's actually prompts you uh, for these changes and self-care things that you want to, goals that you have for yourself. So I've been sticking to that. Um, I also take breaks from technology after a certain point at night. Like I say, okay, on Wednesdays and Fridays and Sundays after a certain time, I'm not even looking at Instagram. I'm just like really cutting out that time because when you're going, 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 you need to let your brain sort of relax because it makes you a better performer when it does. Mm -hmm. So for me, again, I look at it as work-life flexibility because there's times you have to flex around it and like take breaks maybe in the middle of the day to do something personal that's important to you but then you're working at night to get making sure that you're meeting that goal so I really look at that flexibility Mm -hmm. but there's times that you do have to stop and remind yourself that you know if if you don't work every single night until midnight no one's gonna die right it's it's like there's you have to really really think about the priorities hyper focus on those and then know how to, if, if you have workload where it's just too much, work with your manager and over-communicate and say, okay, here's the deadlines I can meet. Here are some I can't this week. You know, I have some things booked 
that I need to do, right? Like Mm -hmm. gonna give you more time next week. (laughs) So really just showing that flexibility and I think communicating will make you even more comfortable with taking that time for self-care. I have to catch myself because I do, I want to catch every ball that's in the air. I want to keep everything moving. It's just my personality because in the end, I want the best for everyone. And if I think someone's going to struggle, I want to jump in. There's times where I have to learn that sometimes people do have to struggle because that's part of their journey. There's other times where I also realized I was saying yes and taking everything on because I felt insecure or I wasn't getting enough validation Mm -hmm. um, and say hearing like hey you did a really good job or so as I got older in my career um, I realized there was times where I would put up these like crazy deadlines on myself and I was like okay 22 year old Andrea did this you're now 36 now you know I'm older now but now you're 36 when are you going to break this pattern so now I'm like we can take this on I could take off I could take on this piece and here's when I have capacity to do so and I actually produce better work when I do that there's Mm -hmm. always going to be a fire drill that you have to kind of go all in for do those things for the business at that value but don't make everything a fire drill know what's not a fire drill yeah what has been your greatest challenge to getting to where you are today and how did you overcome this challenge humility is a gift and a strength um, but there's times where your strengths can be a massive weakness Uh, so it's a double-edged sword when you have too much of something I think for me um, I've worked with such great people especially when I was younger and I didn't come from the same background of some of the people that I was working for had like the experience or the education levels and things like that. So I always kind of felt a little bit less and I would take on more without asking for more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was times in my career I got pretty beat up by sharp elbows and I didn't speak up for myself. And then when I started working for Edie, again, I, I keep referencing Edie, um, that really started to change. I, I watched how you can be strong, assertive, and be a force of change and challenge people and still be a kind, human, fair person. It inspired me and I started to, to really take the time to go deep and understand. And like I started to read and study and understand how do I fix these things that are flaws within me that I need to change in order to not have this keep happening, right? Like sometimes it's easy to say, I'm overlooked, I'm overlooked, I'm overlooked. Mm-hmm. And there's times we are overlooked. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm keep getting overlooked, but I'm also letting it happen. So there's a way to challenge yourself to be uncomfortable, do the things that you know are right to do, sit with being uncomfortable, and before you know it, you're not so uncomfortable doing it. Yeah. Um, so it's really about investing in you and changing those pieces nice nice so i want to switch gears a little bit now and talk about your side hustle passion project (laughs) Um, so you have a blog launching soon yes can you tell us a little bit about it 
Yes, uh, it's called Get There Faster, uh, and the tagline, which I'm excited about, is Turn Talent into Achievement. Uh, for me, it's it's really women-focused. Years ago, I had my own lip care and cosmetic line that was focused on connecting and inspiring and empowering women, and I realized through that I was actually more passionate about that mission than I was about the lip gloss and lip scrubs <laughs> that I was producing, even though I, I you know, love loved our product. For me, this has been something that I've been working on for some time and, and kind of I, I keep track of lessons learned. And I realized when I was younger in my career, I didn't have a mentor and junior professionals or even someone who's like looking to go into like a professional setting. They may not have been there before, right? Like the for me, who was working in the auto industry and real estate and then walking into Goldman Sachs, culture shock and like <laughs> understanding like, okay, like here's how I, you know, here's how they write letters and here's how this level of professionalism or when I was working, you know, for the former chairman of the SEC, like here's how, here's this level you need to be at. Um, When you don't have someone to give you guidance and eventually I did have a network and group, Mm -hmm. um, which was helpful, but but in the beginning I had to learn so much the hard way. And for me, I want to give that access, that knowledge, that help to people that one might not necessarily can afford to pay, you know, three, four hundred dollars a session for a coach. And two, I want it to be available to women beyond just in my immediate area. So I'm going to talk about, you know, mental fitness and toughness and how to build that resiliency. I'm going to talk through my biggest career mistakes and what I've learned from it. I want to hear what others are thinking and be able to give advice as well. And I hope to be interviewing um, some of the women that had the biggest impact in my career and in my life and and share their stories as well. You have a strong sense of networking and mentor-mentee relationships, but uh, you know, you had mentioned that you didn't really have a mentor growing up, so why do you feel so strongly about those connections now? Is that one of the the roots of those, that reason? Yes, it makes it harder. I think um, when someone's not guiding you, we all need somebody. We all yeah. need each other, right? And I always felt bad asking for help. I didn't want to look needy. I didn't want to look this. But the fact of the matter is people like to help other people. Yeah. And I was told one time by someone very wise that you should ask for help because it makes the other person feel good too. You're depriving them of the opportunity to do something good. And so when I was struggling with, like I look look back and I have a copy of my first resume and I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. I literally printed it on, on the paper that had little cherubs at the bottom. And... I had no idea. Like, I have never, I didn't have any guidance. Like, there was no, and, you know, I look at that, and I'm like, oh, my God, if, how, did I, how did I get the job that I got with, with this resume, right? And then, so, that's where I feel building a network throughout your career, whether it's something small like that, and you're first out of high school and not knowing how to do a resume, or if you're looking to, how do I get promotion, what's career progression, how do I negotiate mm-hmm. when I'm starting a, a new role, like, can I ask for more money, which men do all the time and women don't you have to start asking for more and don't be afraid worst thing that happens is they say no but a lot of times people say yes I've learned that um 
it's having those people to talk to and say, hey, I'm going into this conversation. What's your perspective? Yeah. Am I thinking about this the right way? Am I being fair? Sometimes I'm like, hey, am I being emotional? Or is this something that really is uh, wrong and it needs to be addressed? Yeah. So I believe um, there's also power in being able to connect the people within your network. Yes. And I've been able to say, oh, I know someone who works over in this industry and they're really amazing. And someone's like, well, I'm looking to hire this person. And nothing feels better than knowing that someone now is in a job that they love because you referred them. Yeah. Or two people to talk together um, simply just to meet and discuss because they work on similar type projects. And then all of a sudden they're both thinking in, in ways that they never thought before yeah. um, so I think that's why it's so important yeah absolutely what's your timeline for a launch do you have one yet you for the blog yeah oh yeah so I'm actually um, in two weeks um, it will be up the shell is up so if you go to the domain name you're gonna see a very bad uh, <laughs> you're gonna see a lot of words that don't actually mean anything but the templates there and um, I'm just working fine-tuning through some of the first things that you're writing yes. uh, I think when you first start writing you start to overjudge yourself and I had to I had to say okay Andre okay perfectionist put that aside like get the content out there yeah. and you, you just have to start right um, so it'll be coming soon I say this quote on every episode now um, done is better than perfect yes absolutely <laughs> something I try to remind myself of all the time <laughs> we ask this question on every episode who embodies the word femme to you? Who is that trailblazing female that has made <clears throat> an impression on your life? So there, there's two. First, my mother. Um, my mother, again, uh, she was a single mother, raised three children, uh, worked three jobs, and yet I always felt like she was there for everything we ever needed. Um, I don't know how she did it. She might have cloned herself and not have told us. Um, when she became disabled and she suffers with a great deal of pain, she approached it with positivity and didn't let it um, sour her. Instead, it made her even more kind and understanding. Um, she's always been my biggest champion and reminding me to, to have confidence and to keep going and, um, and to believe in myself. So she's really my uh, my number one, and then um, Edie's gonna laugh because I when she hears this I'm gonna reference her again. But um, Edie, my former boss, um, just had such an impact on me. She reminded me that I was just as good as everyone else, if not better, and that she just really would step back and give me the freedom to do what I want, wanted to do with my ideas um, and believed in me when I really needed someone to. Um, but she also challenged me and helped me understand what it takes to be a female leader and the importance it is as a female leader to advocate for other females yeah. as you rise. You rise together, right? That's very important to me. I like having not only just the female leaders, but having ones that really set the tone and are the example because they're the ones that, um, you know, back in the day really squeezed in there. Yeah. They really blazed the trail. They shattered the glass ceiling. So now that they're there, it really means so much that 
you know, they're working on pulling others up with them. Exactly, and I've seen women, unfortunately at times, we feel like there's such limited space for us mm-hmm. that there's times we, we look at each other as competition. And I'm like, if you look at what, if you follow the patterns in business, I like to follow patterns of everything. And so I looked at it and, you know, men are very different in that way because they're like, oh, there's not enough room at the table. I'm going to put another seat there. <laughs> um, I, so for me, when I work um, with women on a project or anything else, I always like talk by 10. I'm like, okay, everybody, like there's always plenty of room on this stage for everyone to shine. Yeah. And the better, like any female that worked for me, like the better they, I always tell anyone that works for me, I'm like, my goal is to make you better than me. Mm-hmm. I want you to be smarter than me. I want you to be everything. Like you're probably already there, but I want you to feel it. I want you to own it. Outpace me. The thing is, it's like, you have to, do, you have to do that. Yeah. And it sets that example because then they, they learn it and they don't say okay Susie is my competition no Susie's my ally and together yeah. we're more powerful absolutely so where can our listeners follow you on social media and feel free to plug your blog so it's therefaster.com and I just uh, grabbed a handle on Instagram it's therefaster underscore I'm going to be posting a lot of uh, short tidbits of uh, life lessons, advice, positive messages to uh, to make sure that um, our followers are. I'm sure you know. I will also have some male followers too, all inclusive. Um, but uh, it, it will be very women focused, and um, I hope that I can inspire people through it, and that others will share content that might inspire our audience as well. Absolutely. You might be surprised because we do have a lot of male listeners. I always have I always have people that will reach out to me. Like if I don't post, I'll have like a family like friends that like my brother's friends will reach out and be like, uh, didn't see the podcast go out today. It's Monday. That's wonderful. And to me that's the essence of diversity. Exactly. So people think diversity and then there's inclusion, mm-hmm. right? And inclusion mm-hmm. means everyone is involved and if we want equal pay men need to advocate for us if we want to make sure that there's more women on the c-suite level you need them to be your champions during promotion times like that's where you know inclusive work environments are extremely important yeah yeah well is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners before we close out the show i would just say never underestimate yourself Continue to go deep, be interesting, learn. Don't wait for someone to invest in you and and start teaching you things. Grab there's every book in the world, self help, career <laughs> advice, and there there's so many of them that are really wonderful. Take the time to to kind of go deep and and really uh, read through those. And I think the most key is self awareness. Build your self awareness. Don't let your self-awareness um, hurt you and, and pull you down. Rather, use it to build yourself up yeah. and see where you need to grow. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Do you know any trailblazing females that you think we should be featuring? Send us an email at femt at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-M-E-T-E-E at gmail.com. As always, thank you for your support as we strive to promote the growth of diverse women in all industries. Hashtag get femmed.